Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bible or go to this passage of Scripture on your phone. We're going to go to Hebrews 12, and we'll get there in a moment. But as you turn there, how many of you know there's all kinds of things vying for our attention? There's just all, and more than, I think more than ever, things vying for our attention. And nobody knows this better than a parent, okay? I don't care who you are, where you're from. If you're a mom or a dad, things vying for your attention, they're not things, they're people. And they're little, and they're vying for your attention. And it's, you know, it's, it's daddy, daddy, watch me do this. Mommy, 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 see how fast I can run in these new shoes. You know, like that's, it's just, even this morning, I was sitting on the porch drinking my coffee and Calvin just learned to ride his bike and he's saying, daddy, watch me ride around the driveway. And I'm like, okay. And here's the bummer. I, this is like confession moment. I had my phone out. I was checking my email, having my coffee. He said, watch me. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was like this. And he came back and I was like, good, good job. And he goes, stop looking at your phone and look at me. I'm like, oh, rebuked by a six-year-old. And you know what? The fact of the matter is he was right. Um, but there's all kinds of things vying for our attention. Several years ago, several years ago, we were at a pool party, like a kid's birthday party around the pool. And Owen was so excited about this party because he had recently learned to go off the diving board. And he was just he was jacked. He was so pumped about this. And so we went to this party and all the kids were swimming and all the adults were doing kind of the adult thing at a kid's birthday party. The adults hang out like, you know, hang out around the pool and talk and the kids swim. And so as we're hanging out, Owen comes up to me and I'm talking to another dad about dad stuff, probably grass and the, the rain and all the you know, exciting dad things. And so Owen comes up and he says, daddy, I'm going to go off the diving board. Can you watch me? I'm like, yeah, dude, go do it. Awesome, that's amazing. So he runs around the pool. Didn't, he didn't run, he walked, because you don't run around the pool. So he walks, he gets in line, and every time he like gets closer to the diving board, because there's a queue of kids, he gets closer, he goes, Daddy, Daddy, you watching? Yeah, yeah, I'm watching, I'm watching. I was really watching that time. I was watching. And he, so he's getting closer and closer. Daddy, you watching? Yeah, I'm watching. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. You're going to go. It's going to be awesome. Daddy, so then he gets on the diving board. It's his turn. He gets to the end. Daddy, I'm on it. You, you watching? Yeah, I'm watching. I'm watching. But he's been so insistent on me watching. Everybody else is watching. This is great. It's like got an audience of, I don't know, probably 35 people. And all the kids are in the pool. They're watching. The adults are watching. The lady whose house we, we kind of borrowed, commandeered for this party, she's watching from the deck nervously. So everybody's watching. And he's like, Daddy, I'm getting ready. I'm going to jump. It's like, oh, great. Go, go, champ. You got it. And he gets up there, and he jumps. And he goes under the water. So exciting. It's awesome. Like, great form. He's under the water. Still under the water. No floaty on. Just him. Under the water, everybody's kind of counting. Under the water, he comes up and goes, <laughs> goes back under the water. And everybody now is looking at me. I'm not in a swimsuit. I'm in regular, like, street clothes, dad clothes. So he goes under the water. One, 1,000. Two, 1,000. Three, 1,000. He comes up. <laughs> back under the water. 
the pool is completely quiet now. And everybody's going, you going to do something about that? Here's what I knew that they didn't. Owen had been recently fake drowning a lot. This was a thing. I just would, he would do it. I knew it. Becky knew it. Nobody else knew it. So he was consistently, almost every time we went to the pool, he would fake drown in front of everybody because it gets, that has an effect on people. I don't know if you've noticed that. You act like you're dying, it gets people's attention. So he, he comes up again, help, and then he goes back under. And the lady whose house it is goes, do something. And I was like, he's not drowning. It's fake. It's not real. But everybody believed it was real. And I could tell kind of the... The dad guilt was setting in. Like, you're a bad parent. Your kid's going to die in my pool. Like, he's not going to die. And I don't have a swimsuit on. So what did I do? I succumbed to the pressure of the pool. I threw my phone down. I jumped in with all my clothes on to save my non-drowning child. And that was the last time he ever fake drowned. So... There are a lot of things vying for our attention. Some of them are important and some of them are not. Okay? A lot of things vying for our attention. And as you come to Hebrews chapter 12, something you need to know about the book of Hebrews is that the writer is going to say some very specific things to his audience here. And the reason is they're looking at some things he doesn't want them to look at. They're paying inordinate attention to their trials and their struggle, the difficulties that are in front of them. And there's, they're real. The difficulty is real. The struggle is real. The trial is real. He's not dismissing the trial. He's not dismissing the struggle. He's not dismissing the discouragement. But what he knows is that if any one of us get our eyes on the trial primarily, if we give our focus to the challenge, if we give our focus to the trouble that we're up against or the challenge that we're facing, it will rob us of what God would want to do if our eyes were primarily on him. Okay? He knows if you get your eyes primarily or even solely on the situation, the challenge, your circumstances, it will rob you of what God would do if your eyes were primarily on him. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look at this together. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. Somebody say, looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Looking to Jesus, the, profound, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, we're going to focus on that phrase. We're going to focus on the phrase. There's a lot we could teach. Honestly, I think you could teach for several weeks just on these two verses. But we're going to look at this phrase, looking to Jesus, because there are at least three things that happen when you and I look to Jesus. 
And so I want to look at them in turn, and then we're going to respond to the text by gathering around the table of the Lord and taking communion together. But the first thing that happens when we look to Jesus is that it creates expectation. When you look to Jesus, it creates expectation. Because here's the thing. Looking in Scripture is not you going to an art gallery and just admiring. Have you ever gone to an art gallery? I don't know if you're an art connoisseur. I am not. I like art galleries, but after a few hallways, I start to lose my awe, you know? Um, I hate to say that. It sounds so uncultured, but I, I appreciate it. I think, well, that's awesome. That looks similar to what I saw in that other place. Um, and that's great. Like, I love art. Like, all of our kids are really are great artists. I actually like drawing, but after a while, I'm appreciating it, but I'm no longer, like, entering into it. I'm just like, that's, that's really nice. Like, that's great. That's nice. You're looking at it with appreciation, maybe even admiration. But that's not looking or the type of looking that the Bible is referring to when it talks about looking. That looking in Scripture is not just you admiring. Looking in Scripture is not you appreciating. Looking in Scripture is not even reverence. Reverence is great, but you can have profound admiration without action, and that's just religion. Profound admiration for God without action toward God is just religion. Religion doesn't save anybody. Religion actually kind of knots people up. It gets in the way of what God wants to do through relationship with them. That's why in religious settings or in religion, people can worship or sing songs without any awe. Or actually, they can sing and kind of get tired of it. It's like, I get tired of worship. Kind of get, like, I'm good for like two songs. I can't handle any more than that. Why? Because it's devoid of relationship. Admiration devoid of relationship is just religion. Or we could say it this way. Appreciation without expectation signals the absence of relationship. Appreciation without expectation signals the absence of relationship. Because part of what makes a relationship a relationship is you know you can go to that person. There's an expectation that if you sit down and have a conversation with them, they aren't just going to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, they're going to share. They're going to listen. They're going to enter in. There's an expectation that, hey, if I'm in trouble, I can call you. I can call you. Like, if, you, if you're in a relationship with somebody, and every time you're in trouble and they find out they ghost you, that's not a relationship. You think it is, but it is not. It's, it's a toxic relationship if it's a relationship. It's not good. Because appreciation without expectation signals the absence of relationship. Now, let's bring it back to Hebrews chapter 12. Inherent in the idea of looking in the Bible, of looking to God, is the idea of expectation. When we're commanded to look, we are commanded to expect. When you're commanded to look to God, 
it is a command or a call, an invitation to expect from God. Think of Micah chapter 7, verse 7. As for me, I look to the Lord for help. That's expectation. I wait confidently for God to save me, and my God will certainly hear me. In other words, looking to God is all about me understanding that God has the ability and he has the desire to meet me at my point of need. God has the ability and the desire. Therefore, I can appropriately expect him to work in my situation. We boldly approach the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. So this is the idea of looking. That's why the psalmist says in Psalm 34, those who look to him, i.e. God, for help will be radiant with joy. Why? Because they can have a confident expectation that God is going to meet their needs. We've talked about this, that answered prayer is the source of joy in the life of a believer. They will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. In, their des in my desperation, I prayed, and the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. Come on, how good is that? God listens when we pray. God's, God, God's ready. He's anticipating. In fact, this is where the life of faith starts. If you don't believe there is expectation in the life of faith, then you've missed out on how the life of faith even begins. Because Isaiah 45 says this, let all the world look to me for salvation. That's expectation. Let all the world look to me for salvation, for I am God. There is no other. God desires us to look to him expectantly. God desires us to look to him and know he's going to meet our needs. Because here's the thing, what he does is not just what he does. What he does is an evidence of who he is. It's an evidence of his character and his nature. So that when we're expecting from him, we're expecting from him because of who he is. Because he's generous, because he's kind, because he's the savior, that's why he saves. Because he's a healer, that's why he heals. We expect on the basis of his character. So the writer of Hebrews says, look, looking to Jesus. Therefore, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because when you fix your eyes on Jesus, when you look to Jesus, it creates expectation. Yeah. Secondly, when you look to Jesus, it compels exclusion. Now, here's the thing. If you're looking to Jesus, what are you not going to be doing? Looking at a lot of other things. If you're looking at Jesus, if you're, as the writer of Hebrews says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, well, if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, they can't be fixed on other things simultaneously. They're either on Jesus or they're not on Jesus. They're either fixed on Jesus or they're fixed on your problem. They're either fixed on Jesus or fixed on your challenge. They're either fixed on Jesus or fixed on your trial. Either they're fixed on Jesus or they're not. So part of what the writer is saying is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, it jettisons everything else that was previously in our field of vision. The writer of Proverbs understood this. Solomon, the wisest person outside of Jesus who ever lived. Solomon says this in Proverbs 4. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get 
sidetracked. Here's the thing. If you want to fix your eyes and fix your gaze on something, that, that takes intentionality on my part. That takes intentionality on your part. That doesn't happen by accident. Solomon's saying that if that's the way you're going to live life, then you've got to get very, very intentional about it. And that's not, he's not just saying, hey, don't turn to the right or the left to look at sin or to think about sin. He's saying there's all sorts of things that may discourage you. The writer of Hebrews is talking about things that have disheartened the readers. And so fixing your eyes keeps your focus on your source. It keeps your focus on a plane that is above the plane that we, we walk every day. It's very easy for us to live life on the basis of what we can see, which is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, so we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. This is what gets a lot of us in trouble. We're looking at troubles. He says, we don't look at the troubles we can see now, and there are a lot of them. There are a lot of troubles. If you're looking for trouble, you can find it. If you're looking for challenge, you can find it. If you're looking for hardship, oh, oh, you can find it. But we don't, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone. But the things that we cannot see will last forever. Here's the thing. Some of you are discouraged tonight. Some of you are disheartened. Some of you are overwhelmed by life tonight. And you're thinking, I, I just don't know. I don't know that I can do it. I don't know that I can handle it. I don't, I don't know that I can. My marriage is just such a wreck. I don't know. Everything I see about the situation leaves me heavy hearted. Some of you feel distant from God. You used to be close. You feel far away. You used to be in an intimate relationship with him. And the writer is saying the antidote to all of that is the same thing. It sounds really simple, but it's profoundly true. The antidote is looking to Jesus. 400 years ago, a pastor, an author, a theologian, the chaplain of parliament under Oliver Cromwell, one of the greatest theologians in the English language, a guy by the name of John Owen, wrote these words. Nothing will divert and draw off our minds from discouraging views, but faith and trust in Christ. Nothing, nothing, Here's the thing. The world is filled with things that promise to draw off your mind from discouraging views. Binge watch this. Get your mind off it. Take this. Get your mind off it. Have that relationship. That'll get your mind off it. It'll, it'll distract from discouraging views. He says, no, 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 no. And here's a guy who knew. He was the father of 11 children. And 10 of them died before they were toddlers. You want to talk about discouragement? Want to talk about trial and tribulation? He knew and he said, nothing but faith and trust in Christ will do that. Nothing. You got to fix your eyes on Jesus. You got to fix your eyes on Jesus. Why is Jesus the right place to fix your eyes? Because not only does fixing your eyes on him create expectation, 
Not only does it compel exclusion, getting other things out of your field of vision, but also Jesus is our concrete example. We have in Christ, you have a concrete example. In Christ, you have a picture, a perfect picture of what it looks like to live the life of faith, to persevere under trial, to walk through tribulation and not be shaken. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's Jesus. He's the founder. He's the perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus. But notice that the writer of Hebrews doesn't say fix your eyes on Christ Jesus. He doesn't say fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say fix your eyes on Christ. Why? He specifically says fix your eyes on Jesus. Why would he do that? Because Jesus is the human name given to the Son of God. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now, Jesus is fully God and fully man, simultaneously. It's the incarnation. So when I say Jesus was his human name, I'm not saying he was exclusively human under that name. Fully God, fully man. But the name Jesus points us to his humanity. That he was just like you and just like me. That he walked this world. That he breathed the same air we breathe. That he inhabited the same space we inhabit. That he persevered under trials just like we have trials. And we face challenges and we face difficulty. And so the writer of Hebrews says, if you want an example... Well, then you've got one. You can look to Jesus because he perfectly persevered under trial. He was the perfect human being. Never sinned, never failed, never faltered. Even in the midst of incredible challenge and trial, he endured. You fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus can show you how to live in the world and not be of the world. He can show you how to flow in the power of the Holy Spirit. He can show you how to not give up when you want to give up. He's our concrete example. Some of you are thinking right now, you've come into this place and you're so discouraged and you're so disheartened and you're so affected by the circumstance you're facing. You're thinking of throwing in the towel. What the writer of Hebrews would say to you, if you're watching online, if you're sitting in the stadium, the writer of Hebrews would say to you, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He would say, stop right now. Stop right now. And in this moment, drop the problem. You can't fix it right now? Drop the problem. In this room, drop the problem. In your living room right now, drop the problem. And just look at Jesus. Why? Two words. He is the founder, and he is the perfecter of your faith. He's the one who gets you started. He's the one who takes you across the finish line. You never, you were never going to take yourself across the finish line anyway. That was never going to happen. 
You never going to get yourself through the challenge of the trial anyway. That was never going to happen. He's the founder. He's the perfecter. He's the one who got you started. He's the one who keeps you going. He's the one who's going to get you across the finish line. Only Jesus. Only him. He's the one. He's the one. So don't look at what you're going through. Look at who's gone before you. Don't look at what you're going through. Look at the one who's gone before you, the founder and the perfecter of your faith. Honestly, this verse is the perfect setup for the table of the Lord. Because as you grab the bread and the cup, and I'd encourage you to do that right now, you were handed the elements when you came in. If you're watching online, I encourage you to grab some juice and a cracker. But when you hold the elements, you hold the symbols of the fact that Jesus didn't throw in the towel. Jesus didn't give up. Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but your will be done. Was it challenging? Oh, yeah. Was it hard? Oh, yeah. Did he want to quit? Oh, yeah. But he didn't. Why? Because for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy of your salvation, for the joy of God's glory, he endured. And for the joy of being an example for every follower of Jesus, from now until eternity, he endured. Why? Because he's saying, you can make it. You can make it. He's the founder. He's the perfecter. He is for you, not against you. He is helping you. He is leading you. He is guiding you. He is strengthening you as you put your eyes on him. 